You know, like with the Spirit, if you don't plug into it, right? It's there, but it doesn't do you a lick of good, right? <laughs> uh, it is good to see everyone here this morning. What an incredible uh, beginning to our worship today. And, and I want to share a, a few things. First of all, I'm sure Corey shared most of these, but I know our ladies had an incredible uh, breakfast uh, yesterday and, uh, and, and a great time. Well, they just packed that venue out. Uh, in their time, and, and being good old Baptists like we are, I know he mentioned too, for our guests, we have a luncheon today, so uh, if nothing else, we sure do feed you here at Northside, right? Please make that opportunity to come back so we can put faces and names together. That's helpful to us, and for you to have an opportunity to meet all of the staff as well. And then he also shared tonight at 5.30, we begin our divorce care ministry. And that's to each and every person, both uh, if you're a member of this church, a visitor of this church, or just know someone else, uh, who could benefit from this time together. Uh, we would encourage you, whether you've been through a divorce in the past or currently involved in one, um, it is an incredible time to just come together uh, to be with, with, with other believers, other people who are seeking the Lord at this difficult time, and for them to be reminded that you're not defined by divorce when your identity is in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so if you are there, you know someone uh, who is struggling in that area, we would love for you to invite them and encourage them to be back to join us tonight at 5.30 in room 155. We continue our study this morning, Genesis in the beginning, as the intro showed. Uh, and, you know, as I said and, and often do as we read through Scripture together, but certainly true with Genesis as well, you know, there's times as we go uh, exegetically through our, our studies of Scripture where we have to understand there are uh, closed-handed and there are open-handed. Uh, discussions that we can have. There are those open-handed, tolerant issues that, uh, that, that, that we can discuss, and we may disagree when, when it comes to election. Uh, tongues, or here in Genesis, days or dates of creation. Those are open-handed issues that are not uh, gospel-focused, right? We, we understand that. We can disagree without being divided, right? Difference without dissent. Those are open-handed, tolerant Issues, And I'll always tell you as we go through Scripture where I stand in each of those, but I'll also mention that though there, there is room for debate with that. But then there are those close-handed, uh, intolerant uh, issues or topics that we as the church and believers in Jesus Christ are willing to die for. When it comes to the inerrancy of Scripture, when it comes to the, the Holy Trinity uh, of God, the virgin birth, when it comes to substitutionary atonement, when it, when it comes to these things, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. As we've looked in Genesis, the, the Imago Dei that, that every creature, every person is created, every human, with the image of God for a purpose to image God in this world. As we looked at last week, uh, in, in, as we uh, focused on sanctity of life and equality of all life as well. Those are close-handed, intolerant issues. When it comes to, to God's design of God creating male and female and marriage, that's not up for debate, nor is it up for redefinition, right? That is God's promise. That is his rule. That is his law for us. And there's no room for evolution within the creation, the biblical creation account. It's just not there. Man was made from dust, not an amoeba cesspool. Woman came from man's rib, not from some ape woman over millions of years. You can't hold to the biblical account of creation and in any way weave into the fabric of those pages in Genesis any kind of evolutionary account. To me, that is a closed-fisted. There's no discussion there. That is God's truth. 
Well, last week, then, in chapter 2, we looked at the creation of man, the creation of woman, and also the creation of marriage. And as I said that, man, excuse me, God created both man and woman equally and in his own image, but also unique in design and dignity, right? We, and we understand that men and women, we're just different, right? We're, we're all in the image of God, but we're different, right? When, when a man says, I have nothing to wear, it means I have nothing clean or even close to clean, right? Uh, the, the, the sniff test, right? When a woman says, I have nothing to wear, she has nothing new in the closet, right? <laughs> closet full of clean stuff. There's just nothing new in that closet, right? It, it's different. I've said before, if a woman says, smell this, it's probably nice. If a man says, smell this, wouldn't do it, right? I, it's, we're, we're, we're different. It is the way that God created us. But within those differences, he also created us to be complementary with one another. It's together then we paint a more true picture of who Jesus Christ is uh, and also, in a complementary way, carry out the gospel, taking it to all the world and our great commission together, right? And so with that said then, you often find because of the differences of men and women when it comes to the creation view, there, there are often two camps there as well, right? You've got the... Uh, women's typical view that God made all of the beasts and everything in the world, and then he made man, and then he saw the man, and he looked at the man, and he said, I can do better than this. And he made the woman, right? And that's a typical woman's account. Most men kind of have their own idea of the way all that went down, right? And it's this way, God made the beasts of the field, and then he made the man, and then he rested, then he created woman. And neither beast nor man nor God have rested ever since. Right? I mean, it's, it, two camps. I'm not open. Hey, not a close fit. The hands are open on this one, right? Yeah, I don't know where you fall. Maybe somewhere in the middle, right? Well, today, now, we're going to look at Genesis, at Genesis chapter 3. And I know, as I said, I'm behind in your reading plans. You have. But I, Genesis chapter 3 is probably one of, if not the most known Biblical story in the entire Bible, right? I really, but when it, when it comes to the fall of man, Adam and Eve and the serpent and the fruit and the garden of Eden, I, I believe that's probably one of the most well-known biblical stories in all the world. And we're going to dive into it today. Let's, let's open up this morning, either in your book, or you can uh, also open in the church app this morning, and everything is there with notes also. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden? God said, You must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And I'm going to stop there in our reading this morning. 
And what I want us to, be, to understand that as we uh, first dive into this text, Satan had this desire from the very beginning, and his desire was to be equal with God. And because of that desire that, that he had to be equal with God, it literally caused him to fall from heaven and bring with him one-third of the angels as well. And so now that, that his attempt to be equal to God ha, ha, has fallen, now as he has now fallen to earth, he sets his sights on God's most unique most beautiful, most loved of all of his creation on man. And Satan here uses the, the serpent then to be his mouthpiece for this temptation that we just read. Now, what's interesting as you read through this, it, doesn't it strike you a little bit that Eve wasn't taken back by a talking serpent? Do you ever get there and you think, you know, all of a sudden you're in the garden and this serpent just started talking to me, right? It'd lock you up today if you said that, right? And yet there doesn't seem to be any account of her being surprised by that or anything. Why is that? Well, we're not given anything specifically, but you have to believe they had experienced the, the magnitude of God, right? His omniscient, I mean, they understood God, that all things were possible, that the God that they knew, that they served, that loved them and they loved, could do all things. So certainly there was no great surprise to a salt-talking serpent. And at that, the serpent had not yet been cursed, so it was likely some kind of upright serpent at the time and not slithering on the ground as we know them today. But notice what he says to this serpent. He says, did God really say? Did God really say this? What Satan wants to do is he wants you to, to doubt the truth. He wants you to doubt God's truth, that's exactly what he did with Eve, and that's exactly what he does with us today. I mean, if you go back to chapter 2 and verse 16, what did it say? Not any tree, right? You can eat from any of the trees of the garden, all except just this one, and eventually there would be two that were off limits. Right? What God had told Adam and Eve was, hey, no limitations, right? Hey, only this one. And to have liberty to everything I've created, it's all yours. But what does Satan do? He, he begins to sow that seed of doubt with them. He diverts their attention from what God had said. You can have everything except this one tree to the one thing they couldn't have. See, that's what Satan did here. That's what he wants to do with us. Satan doesn't want you as a believer to, to think about all the, 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 the blessings of being a believer. He wants to divert your attention to the, that one thing you want. That one thing you know, want, and you know what God's Word says. You know how the Holy Spirit is convicting your spirit right now. You know that you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to partake in that. You fill in the blank for yourself, but, but you know that. And Satan wants you to, he wants you to doubt God. He, he wants you to focus on that one thing you shouldn't do. Uh, I know that, man, I, I can be guilty of that too. You know, right now, I, I'm dealing with just so, so, some, some little health things. No big deal, but just things that, that are annoying to me. They really are. And I think, God, why is that? I pray about that. I, I do what the doctors say about it and you know, all this thing. And, and yet I'm, I'm still aggravated by this little thing. And yet, meanwhile, I have a, a healthy 51-year-old body, healthier than most. But I want to focus on those couple little things that, that just aren't 100% right now. Right? I divert all my attention not to all the opportunities I have, family, blessings, ministry, all that. But I just worry about I mean, that little breathing issue. I got that little tendonitis in that elbow. You know, I focus there. You know, that's what Satan wants us to do in our walk with God. He, he doesn't want you to think about all the beauty of being a Christian, all, all, all the, the limitless blessings that God gives us. He wants you to focus on that one little thing that you feel like you can't have. And Satan will tell you, and I think you should have 
hey, for our younger generation in here, when uh, smartphones were first coming out, there was a popular thing called jailbreaking your phone. Y'all remember that? Uh, and maybe they still do it. I, I don't know. But that, that was a big thing. When all these cell phones came out, man, they had all these apps. And, I mean, you could launch a rocket with this thing, right? It's amazing what these things will do, right? Everything. I mean, I can look at my house. I can turn on my car. I can, like, unbelievable what these things will do. But what the kids figured out is there were some apps that they were being limited by their phone by the software of their phone, their iOS, right? And so they found that if you jailbreak it, you put in the software that, that strips away all of the security of it, you could do other things with your phone, right? Wasn't satisfied with the gazillion things this phone will do, but now, instead of being limited to 1,000 background colors, I could have 1,200. So I wanna jailbreak my phone, right? But here's the thing. When they chose to jailbreak the phone, all of a sudden, the security was removed from the phone. The warranty was removed from the phone because that's not what the manufacturer wanted you to be able to do with that. Why? Because he wanted that thing to last longer for you, to be safer for you. Well, that's what we see here in Scripture. God said, it's all yours. Just stay away from that one thing. Believe me, you don't want it. And Satan wanted him to focus only on that one thing. You know, I think one of the greatest um, temptations, um, sins of our culture today, it's likely that of lust, is it not? I mean, we see all this human trafficking and pornography and rape and, and all these just, 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 just horrific uh, things that, that, that are tied to lust. I think it's one of the greatest temptations and issues in our world today. And yet, sex is a beautiful gift that was given from God when it's exercised within the covenant of marriage as he designed it, as he created it to be. But what does Satan do with that? Hey, now he says, you know, don't wait for it. You don't need to wait. Hey, that church, that, that preacher, don't, don't listen to what the Bible says. Right? It's trying to, to limit you. It's trying to keep you from having these joys, these, these pleasures in your life. He says, did, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Church, did he? Did God say what Satan had asked? Did God say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? No. All Satan wanted to do is start a conversation. He's not concerned with truth. Satan will gladly lie to you to get a conversation going. Jesus said this in, in John 8, 44. Jesus speaking, he said, he was talking about Satan. He was a murderer from the very beginning. Why? Because as he introduced sin, as he tempted Adam and Eve, then, uh, then, then death came into the world. He was a murderer from the very beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of all lies. That's who Satan is. Satan will gladly tell you a lie if he can start a conversation with you, if he can get you pondering and thinking about things, if he can begin to get you, your attention off of God, off of the, all the liberties and freedom God gives you and just on your own selfish desires. He's a deceiver. He wants to, he, this deceiver wants to plant a seed of doubt in your life, in your heart, and in your mind. And then when that seed is there, it is then fertilized by our own pride. Pride is at the heart of nearly all sin today. At the end of the day, it's where we feel like we know better than God. Right? I'm not going to do what his word says because I think I know better. I'm not going to do what that preacher says because I think I know better. Right? That's the, the root of that's pride. Verse 4, then, next, notice what he does. He, he begins to contradict God. He says, you won't die. 
No, God said, you won't die. And then ultimately what he's doing, he's challenging God's word. He's saying, listen, that's not true. What God's telling you is not true. Is that not what the, the world wants us to do today? Does the world not want uh, uh, the, the church, does it not want our children to doubt the authority of Scripture? Do, do they not want to doubt absolute truth? I mean, is that not one of the, the, the greatest things being pushed down the throat of, of all of our children today, to, to doubt God's holy word, to doubt his ultimate truth? And that's exactly where Satan starts, that they would, would doubt what God's saying is true. And in essence, even challenging God's love for man. He says, that he just doesn't want you to be like him. If you, you, you'll be just like him, and, and God doesn't want a good thing for you. Meanwhile, God was trying to protect them. Eve's response there in verse 3, when she responded, she said, and God said we couldn't even touch it, right? Now, where did that come from? Did God say they couldn't touch it? Did they? They did not. We, we, we don't have that. Now, is it possible, and I believe it is, that, that Adam, who was told, do not eat from that tree, from that tree, don't eat the fruit from that one tree, right? When he was told that, he probably, as he relayed that to his wife, probably said, hey, don't eat that fruit. Don't even touch it, right? Quite possible. Now, it's not in Scripture. I'm, I'm going outside a little bit there, but, but, but I think that's quite possibly the case, that he, he warned her, don't even, don't even touch it. Don't get that close to it. Verse 6, but what happened? The woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was delightful to look at. And then it was desirable also for obtaining wisdom. So she took. She took some of its fruit, and she ate it. Now, I believe. I believe that Satan was lingering around the tree. I do. Everywhere, where was the place of temptation? It was at that one place where God said, don't do this. Right? This will harm you. This will, uh, this will bring death into the world. And so Satan's going to hang around that, that one tree that, that he knew would eventually and ultimately be a temptation for the man and the woman. You know he's still up to that same game with you today? He is. That, your tree of temptation is different from mine. We probably have some similarities, but, but we all have those, those different temptations. That, that tree that, uh, listen, it is going to be a temptation for us if we go near it. Right? Isn't that what took place? I mean, Eve, there she was. She was in the garden. The, 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 and I realized, hey, we don't know that it was an apple. Probably wasn't an apple, right? We don't know what the fruit was. But that fruit was a temptation. And she was at least close enough that, if nothing else, just uh, peripherally, she could see that fruit. It says she, she saw it, right? And Satan was there. And then it says that after that encounter, she, she began to look at it. Not just seeing it, but now looking at it. Began to, to think about it. What must that taste like? What, wonder what it would be to have knowledge like God, to, to be like God. What, man, I'll bet that thing, I'll bet it tastes great. I'll, I'll bet it, there's just no telling what it could be, right? She's looking at it. And now she's getting closer and she's beginning to contemplate what could possibly come from it. Can I tell you something? How many of y'all are kind of tempted right now, not by the sin and all that, but well, I'd like to bite that apple. Anybody, right? Yeah, there you go, right? Uh, you think, I haven't eaten in a little while. I'll bet that apple's good, isn't it? But you know what? For the people in their connect group classes right now, that apple ain't tempting them at all, is it? Why aren't they tempted by that apple? It's a good apple. Brand new. Just bought it today at Publix, Right? I bet it's juicy. Why aren't they tempted by that apple? Because they can't see it. 
But Eve saw it. And she started thinking about it. She, so she, 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 she looked at it and began to, 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 to think even more and, and even more. And uh, What could this possibly mean? How could it taste? What could it do? Until eventually she, she took it. You know, God's Word tells us this. He, he says that, that He gives us the strength to endure any temptation that we're faced with. We got the, the strength not to pick it up. But you know, the greatest tool he gives us, the greatest wisdom, is to walk away, to, to flee from the temptation. But she didn't flee. Instead, she, she took it and she began to look at it even more, began to, to think even more. Now she's touching it. It feels right. It looks good. It, you know, maybe, maybe Satan's right. Maybe God just said, and she eats it. She, she, she took that bite. She, she did the, the very thing that, that God said not to do. Now, I'm sure, you know, when she, when she saw that apple, she didn't intend to, to pick it up. I don't believe that when she picked it up, she intended to eat it. But that's exactly what she did. She, 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 she couldn't resist that, that temptation. She, she took it and she ate it. And isn't that what we see in the story of David and Bathsheba? Is it not? I mean... You think about it, Bathsheba went to a place where she was taking a, a, a bath outside that she could possibly be seen. David just so happened to be up on his rooftop that overlooked a place that she took baths on a regular basis, right? And he just so happened to see her. And then ultimately and eventually, they had an affair. They had an, an, an adulterous relationship. Why? It all starts with the look. It all starts, folks, with that contemplation. What is it for you? What is it that Satan's lying to you about and telling you, it's not so bad, it won't hurt, it won't cause any damage, it'll just be this one time? That's the lies of Satan. And he wants you to play that dance with him. Why? Because nine times out of ten, he'll win. Nine times out of ten, you'll, you'll take the bite of the apple, of that forbidden fruit. Now, for, for my English teachers here, is it an oxymoron to say that it was dumb to eat from the tree of knowledge? Is that, you ever think about it, right? Like, how stupid it was to eat, uh, dumb, it was, it was to eat from the tree of knowledge. And yet, what do we see? No, no sooner a sinner than now a tempter. Why did it, we see that with Eve, right? It says she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, I, I want you to notice there, Adam was with her. Now, there's some debate. Uh, some feel like, hey, maybe Adam was on the other side of the garden. He, he was still naming animals and things. He was, he was still doing that thing when all this went down. And he engaged her later, right? And, and maybe out of sympathy or whatever the case may be, maybe it, it was then that he took that. But as pastor, you need to know the way that I interpret that. When it says that he was with her, I believe he was with her. I believe he was there when she was tempted. I believe she was there when the dialogue, that he was there when the dialogue went down between her and Satan. He was there. I believe he was watching her. I believe he was watching all of this go down and, and, and ultimately basically saying, let's see what happens. Let, 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 let's see if, if, if she does eat it, let's see what, what happens to her. And see, here's the thing. Eve was deceived. But it was Adam who rebelled. It was Adam who ultimately disobeyed God. God told Adam not to do these things. 
And he was the one who rebelled. He was the one who dis, uh, disobeyed God. God called Adam to lead his home, to, to lead his wife. But instead, he follows her lead. Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, where we were last week, it says that both the man and his wife were naked, and they felt no shame. When they were in that environment, living the, the way that God had created them to be, there they were, naked, and yet they had no shame whatsoever. Can you fathom that? Can you imagine being stripped naked, every thought of yours being known and, and displayed for the world to see, and yet having no shame? Man, you're talking about countercultural today. Amen. I, hey, we're naked. We just want drawers, right? We, we, we want to cover it up. We don't want, we want to hide behind things. We don't want the world to know everything about us. And yet there where they were exposed ultimately and yet with no shame. No shame whatsoever. It says here that Adam and Eve did what, what man has tried to do ever since, and that is to cover himself, to cover herself, to cover their shame. Fig leaves were their best attempt. It was likely one of the, the larger leaves on, on the bushes that were around. And so however they fashioned them together or whatever kind of uh, uh, clothing they made out of this, that, that, that they did their absolute best. That was their best attempt to cover over their shame, to cover over their sins. But it was inadequate. It wasn't enough. You see, what God understood is there's going to be heat coming in the day. You're going to now toil in your labors. There's going to be thorns in the land that you live. That's the things they're going to deal with. And fig leaves will not get the job done. They would need something far more. You fast forward into verse 21 of chapter 3, and it says, The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he, God, clothed them. Now, for there to be skins, for there, for there to be clothes made out of skins, that means there had to be animals that were sacrificed. Something had to die. A sacrifice had to be made, and their shame had to be covered. So that's what God did. Hebrews 9.22 says this, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. See, the first sacrifice here in Genesis 3 was just a foreshadow of what Jesus would sacrifice for us on the cross. And everything you do to try to cover your sin, to try to atone, to try to, to hide everything you do in this world and in this life, friends, it's inadequate. And you know it. It doesn't work. So God did for us, as he did for Adam and Eve, he sent his son to die. Because we would never have the ability to atone for our own sins. And when we receive Christ, says he, he, he clothes us then with righteousness. Isaiah 61.10 says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exult in my God, for he has clothed me with righteousness. The righteousness, excuse me, he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. Clothed me with salvation and, and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. Do you know that when you acknowledge your sin, when you acknowledge the shame and the guilt that you have in your life, when you acknowledge that and you choose to clothe yourself in His righteousness, 
God no longer sees you as a sinner. He sees you as a saint. By Jesus' blood and his sacrifice. Romans 5, 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people, because now all have sinned. And skipping down to verse 19, For just as through one man's disobedience there were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience, talking about Christ, the many will now be made righteous. He has this comparison that Paul always lays out of the first Adam and the second Adam. And what does he say? With the first Adam came sin, but with the second Adam came righteousness. With With the first Adam came death, but with the second Adam came life. With the, with the first Adam came condemnation, but with the second Adam came justification. With the first Adam came alienation from God, but with the second Adam, Adam came reconciliation to God. Jesus came to cover our sins, to make us right with the Holy God. Listen, let's keep reading it in verse 8. It says, Then the the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man. He said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit of the tree. And I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Verse 15, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head. And you will strike his heel. Verse 8, then it tells us that when all this went down and they understood and their eyes were open, their spiritual eyes were now open, they could see their sin. It says they, they hid from the Lord God. Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine? They, they weren't freaked out when a, when a serpent was talking to them. Why? Because they knew how almighty God was. And yet now they sin and they're going like, to go hide behind the bush. <laughs> like, I don't want God to see me. Right? They knew they couldn't hide from God, but, but yet that was their spirit to, to run, to, to hide. But instead of that, because I think we do that today too, we, we, we sin and we fall short of the glory of God and we're, we're embarrassed, we're, we're, we're shame, we have shame, and so we want to run from God. And yet, we need to run to God. Adam and Eve should have ran to that holy God, said, God, we, we've sinned, God, we've done wrong, God, forgive us, but instead they, they ran from Him. Now, I know that there are those that feel Adam gets a rap, bad rap here. That Adam, you know, just kind of gets called out as a, a spineless weakling that, you know, wasn't the man he ought to be and all. But don't you remember, he, he was there, right? There are also those that, that feel Eve gets a bad rap here, right? That, uh, that all the curses are her fault. But I don't believe we see that either. You know, in fact, ladies, you go to any culture, any culture where Christianity is absent, and you see how women and children are treated. And you go to any culture where Christianity is thriving and you look at how women and children are elevated, are valued, and and even loved. And what we see here is God holds uh, Adam accountable for the first sin. 
Right? He, he called out to the man. That word man is singular, Adam. It is singular. He called out to Adam. And he said, where are you? The Hebrew word there, you, is singular. It's not our southern y'all here, right? It is singular. Adam, where are you? He wasn't calling out to the woman. Now, God knew where Adam was. He knew what he had done. He knew where he was physically. But Adam had abandoned his position. He had abandoned his leadership with his wife. I mean, I want to tell you something. One of the greatest root causes of all the issues in America today is the absence of spiritually guided men in their home. You hear me? Men not willing to take up that mantle to pray with their wife, to pray with their children, to, to lead their home spiritually, to say, yes, I want us to go to church. Yes, I want us to be in that Bible. Say, yes, I want us to serve. Yes, I want us to give. Men instead shirk that responsibility that we're given. And I'm going to tell you that the absence of spiritually minded leader men in our world today is killing us. And then we've got to step up. I can get back in my notes too, don't I? You say, well, 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 how do you lead? I'm a man. How do I lead? Listen to God. Just listen to God. Be in His Word. Be on your knees. Be in prayer. Just, just simply listen to God. How, do I, how can I be a spiritual leader? Be spiritually led. You, you turn your attention, your thoughts, your life, your devotion to God, and He'll allow you to lead. He'll use you in leadership. That's what he said. God asked him, he said, who told you you were naked? Right? Well, God's saying, listen, Adam, who are you listening to? Men, women, who are you listening to today that tells you you don't have value, that tells you you don't have a purpose, that tells you don't have meaning, that tells you you are this or you're not that? Who are you listening to? God said, you're beautiful. I've created you in my own image. And I love you. Adam, who are you listening to? And then I do believe Adam plays the victim card. I think he forfeited his manhood card here. I think he turned over and played the victim. Verse 12, I, I do believe that Adam here begins to, to blame the woman and ultimately God. It's what he says. The woman you gave me. She did it. By the way, verse, verse 17 is not a life verse, man. All right, we'll go there later. Uh, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. Um, the woman you gave me, she, 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 she did it. She did it first. She, she, she gave it to me. And by the way, God, you, you're the one that put her here. So really, God, isn't it your fault? Right? God then goes on to curse. I'm running out of time. He curses the, the, the serpent. And, um, and, and, but look at verse 15. In verse 15, we, have, we think of the gospel. When people say that the gospel of Jesus Christ, everybody's mind goes to what? John 3, 16, doesn't it? But you know when we first see the gospel? It's in Genesis 3, 15. And then the second time we see the gospel in Scripture is Genesis 3, 21. Verse 15 there is known as the Proto-Evangelium, or the, the first gospel. When it talks about the, the offspring of woman, it's talking about Jesus who would come to save the world. And he's saying, Satan, listen, you're going to get a few good licks in. You are. You're going to get a few good licks in on the cross. But he's, I don't, it, it, CSB does a horrible job using strike there. You're going to strike. You're going to bruise his heel. But he's going to crush your head. He's going to strike you. He is going to crush you. You're going to get some licks in. But you're not going to win. 
Uh, the, the gospel there, that we, we throw that word around, it just means good news. And some have said that the gospel is the good news about the bad news. The bad news is like Adam and Eve, we see here, we're all sinners and we're in need of a Savior. And the good news is that we have a Savior and His name is Jesus. And He has crushed the enemy forever. We can't lose. Man, when we follow His lead, we can't lose. Ladies, when you follow His lead, you can't lose I am out of time though and pages to go where are we going to go um, 131 he had said it is very good sin entered the world and then Jesus God had to send his son to reverse the curse that man brought on this world you remember Genesis 1:28? it said God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful multiply fill the earth and subdue it rule the fish of the sea the birds of the sky and every creature that calls on the earth that's what man was given Man was naked, unashamed, and given the audacious task to be fruitful and multiply. Right? I mean, think about your atoms. Like, okay, so all I have to do is rule over everything, hang out with my naked wife, and make babies. That's it? I'll take it. I, I, I'll, I'll take that job. Right? That's all he had. They didn't even have kids yet to mess things up when the fall happened. Did y'all catch that? They didn't even come on the scene yet. And yet messed it up. If Satan can tempt and succeed with Adam and Eve in their situation, you better believe he can in yours. And we better be ready for those temptations. He said, well, Dad, why was the tree there? If God made everything, all things are possible, God knows everything, why did he put the tree there? The tree was there so man would have that choice. God didn't make robots. He made man in his own image so we could choose to love him. So we could make that choice so, so he would understand how much we love him, all that he gives to us, and we would have the delight in walking in obedience. That's why. Hey, when your five-year-old eats ice cream, that doesn't bring you, that doesn't make you proud and bring you joy. It's when they hit the broccoli, right? Right? When, 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 when they show some uh, uh, respect or some obedience or some patience or sacrifice, not when they exercise their freedoms. Well, the same with us and God. And when it comes to our finances, God gives us 100%. He gives us everything we have. He only asks for a tithe back, a small portion, given with, with a joyful heart and spirit. Why is that? Two sides to that. One, why didn't he ask for it all back? It's his. I can't believe he lets us keep 90 plus percent, right? Well, that blows me away. On the other side, God, God doesn't need anything. He has everything. Why, why does he ask for anything back? Because it's in that stewardship that we acknowledge, God, it does all come from you. And you have so abundantly blessed me that I want to give back to you. I want to give to others. I want you to use your blessings through me. He doesn't need it, but he allows us to exercise stewardship. It says, then the Lord was, was walking through the garden. and I love that picture. Adam and Eve have fallen. They, 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 they've sinned. And what does God do? It says he... He goes out, he engages, he, he seeks the lost. What did Luke 19.10 tell us? Christ stepped into history, why? To seek and to save the lost. That's why he came. I need to close. Where are you today? Where, where are you? What, what, what is your temptation? What, what is it that Satan's lying to you about? 
Where is it that he's wanting to divert your attention from all the things of God to that one thing? Where are you? See, that's the, that's the point of the story. Where, where are you? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to the father of all lies, a deceiver? Or a holy God who loves you and in this very moment is drawing him, drawing you to himself? Who will you choose to listen to today? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us, for creating us, for redeeming us and forgiving us, God. And Lord, I know there are too many people here today in this this very service who are listening to the wrong voice. And I pray that your voice, your guidance, your direction would ring loud and clear in their hearts and their minds and in their, their spirit drawing many to repentance for the loss to salvation. And we would no longer try to cover our own sin, our own shame, with whatever fig leaves we can grab in this world today. But God, that we would be clothed, robed in your righteousness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. And, um, I want to encourage you to be back next week as we finish chapter three <laughs> uh, and go into chapter four and five as well. Again, if you're